Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. This little survey over first and second Corinthians, and not necessarily in chronological order either, but we are kind of hitting the high spots, things that we want to emphasize, you might say. And we have been doing this all throughout the year in other places in Scripture as well. Because these are things that we need to know for 2023. And I know that primarily how we could characterize these sermons throughout this year is putting the pressure on you. And that's what I'm actually trying to do is to put the pressure on us. Uh, because if you look up at the scoreboard, things just don't look very good right now, right? So there are some things that we need to correct. There are some things that we need to do. There are also some things we need to understand. By the way, one of the things to understand is that Jesus Christ has been victorious. He's going to be victorious. He is putting all of his enemies under his feet. Therefore, we can be confident that if we will be obedient to the Lord and do as he says, then we will see his kingdom grow. So, that's the good news for the present. But, at the same time, we are in a mess. We have a lot of difficulties, a lot of obstacles. Things that we're going to have to overcome. And we're going to have to bear the weight. We're going to have to bear the load. And it might be heavy, but it's what we have been called to do. And so we are presently getting some encouragement from the Corinthian church because they were a church that was in a mess as well. And we have highlighted some of those issues that they were facing. And so we have been considering this series title, Faith in Action, Rebuilding God's Kingdom in Challenging Times. This is part six. And we have been considering the sectarianism that was devastating the effectiveness of the Corinthian church. And this is where Paul starts. Now, Finally, in chapter 5, he gets to the immorality that was plaguing the church. In chapter 11, he'll get to their profaning of the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And there's a whole host of other issues that Paul will deal with, but he first begins with their division, their divisiveness, the schisms that were tearing them apart. 
And it really is a shame because we Christians will argue over some of the dumbest things that you can ever imagine. Now listen, the fundamental articles of the Christian religion are of absolute necessity. There is no wavering. There is no watering them down. There is no trying to get fancy with our speech. We must proclaim that which is absolute and that which is primary without any kind of compromise. But we must also remember that there are secondary issues that require us to respond and to act differently. differently. And then there are indifferent issues that really, we just really need to get over. Instead of fighting and squabbling and dividing over them. However, we are living in an interesting day because we're living in a day where we have both things in play. All right, there is a terrible deconstruction effort that has been going on for decades and that has uh, came to its fullness in our day. And so there are many who are denying the fundamental articles of the Christian faith. They're denying that which is orthodox and that which we must remain faithful to. So there is the erosion of those things. And then there are the lifting up and the exalting of just petty issues at the same time. I mean, there are some really disturbing trends in conservative Christianity over things that we will divide over while Rome is burning all around us and we're worried about things that are just really insignificant. So they had that problem in the first century as well, especially here amongst the Corinthians. And so Paul is first dealing with that because what are we to be characterized Those of you who are in Sunday school, what are we to be characterized by? Love, right? And something that is different than the world knows. Because it's divine love. The love that the Father had for the Son, the love that the Son has for the Father, and the love that the Father and the Son has for the people of God. The love that the Father has for his children. The love that Christ has for his bride, the church. We are to be known by that kind of love. And that kind of love is to be demonstrated. That divine love is to be demonstrated in our relationships to each other in the church. And we are to be known by that. But that's not what we're known by anymore. When Jesus said that the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another, I don't hear that being repeated too often. I don't hear the world saying that. I don't hear the world looking in at the church and saying, Oh, there's them Jesus people. You know how we know they're the Jesus people? Because the love they have for each other is indescribable we don't even know what that kind of love is we've never even experienced that kind of love 
But unfortunately, we're more known for what Paul is addressing here with the Corinthians. Schisms and division and hatred and strife. So, I forget uh, where it was. Does anyone remember? Ah, never mind. I won't go down that rabbit trail anyway. Um, but uh, we are known by the hatred, division, and strife of the world. In other words, what they're seeing is this. We're no different than them. Well, they need to see a difference, and this is where it begins. It begins here with this love, divine love, that we are to have for one another. Now, it doesn't end there, because they should be able to recognize, too, as they see everything crumbling all around them, and they're like, man, this atheist system doesn't work. They ought to be able to look at us and be like, man, whatever they're doing is working. If nothing else, it would be better if we had them in charge. But they're not saying that either, right? (laughs) Um, And, of course, there's lots of reasons for that. So I want to look at one verse, or two verses, sorry. Um, We're going to talk about the whole chapter, really, kind of. I mean, we're, in a sense, talking about both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So I'm only going to read the first two verses where Paul says, remember, he's talked about the division amongst them, and the reason why they were divided is because they were following the flesh. They were looking after fleshly things. Right? It's like, man, that guy is handsome. Let's go hear him. Man, that guy is charismatic. Let's go hear him. Man, that guy is sensational. Let's follow him. Man, that is a big church. Man, that is a rich church. Man, that is where it's at. That is where it's happening. There's the lights, the fog, the show. See, we look after fleshly things. And so Paul warns them about the wisdom of the world. And it's that wisdom of the world. It is the following after fleshly things that divides us. Because there's only one thing that unites us, and that's Christ. So when we're acting like mere men, and when we're following the same things that the world is following when we believe the same things that the world believes, when we act in the same manner that the world acts, it divides the church. Matter of fact, after a long history of that here in the West, we have finally reached a point to where we are not just fragmented, we are greatly diminished. And then Paul turns his attention a little differently and says this let a man so consider us now why is he saying to consider them he's talking about whom himself Apollos Cephas the other apostles and even the fake apostles before there was fake news there was fake apostles that's what they were dealing with in their time 
And so he's saying, let a man consider us, he's talking about himself and the true apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So he's in a battle here on whom the people are going to listen to. He is battling for their attention. He is trying to reestablish authority with them. Because we're never going to move past all this division, and we're never going to move past the church walking according to the flesh if we don't restore true authority. And so there's this battle that goes on through these two letters that he wrote to the Corinthians over the authority of the true apostles. Specifically, he is battling for his own authority. And so he says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. This is a theme that we have hit upon and that we are going to continue to hit upon in this idea of faithfulness. So we come together this morning to explore these timeless truths of God's word. And as we gather in the sanctuary of this church, we are united by a common purpose. To seek spiritual nourishment, spiritual guidance, and inspiration in our ongoing journey and battle for the faith. So we are continuing our sermon series, Faith in Action, Building God's Kingdom in Challenging Times. And these words communicate something to us. And I hope they communicate something to you that you have thought about it. And what it communicates is the fullness of our calling. As this title sums up the essence of our Christian walk. The call to live out our faith. To actively participate in the advancement of God's kingdom because as we navigate the uncertainty of these challenging times, it becomes very important that we return to that type of Christianity. A Christianity that is looking to take the kingdom to restore the whole idea of advancement and warfare and battles and knighthood and kingdoms. That's what has become very pressing upon us in the day in which we are living. So, as we look into the pages of scripture, we encounter these narratives of individuals and churches and so forth that despite facing adversity, they stood firm in their faith and they contributed to the unfolding of God's divine plan. And so as we begin looking in the epistles of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the themes of these letters resonate deeply with the struggles that we face today. We have division, worldly wisdom, and the ever-present tension between living out our faith and conforming to societal norms. So the Corinthian church to which Paul writes was not unlike many churches today, grappling with internal divisions, conflicting ideologies, 
and a struggle to maintain a Christ-centered perspective amidst all the cultural pressures. Paul's words to this community remain remarkably relevant for us today and provides insights and guidance as we navigate our similar challenges in this modern context. So in the chapters of these two epistles, Paul confronts the Corinthian believer's misguided pursuit of worldly wisdom, that which is according to the flesh, that which appeals to the senses, that which looks good, sounds good, tastes good, feels good. So he challenges that worldly wisdom and he highlights the transformative power of God's wisdom, which often appears as foolishness to the world. So if we had a subtitle for the subtitle, it would be this morning, Fools for Christ. We need a Christianity that is willing to become fools for Christ. That's what it means to be faithful. To be faithful in a day like we are living today It means to be reckoned as a fool by the world. And so he introduces that concept here in this chapter as well. And he puts it in those very terms. Fools for Christ. Individuals who choose counter-cultural wisdom. The counter-cultural wisdom of God. over worldly expectations, over the worldly wisdom. So here in chapter 4, first of all, let's notice that faithfulness is the essence of what Paul is talking about. And it's also that which helps correct the division that is going on in the church here at Corinth. And so he tells them, That it is required. So there's this battle going on over the authority of the church in true and false apostles in their day. And Paul points out that, listen, it is required in stewards, in servants, to be found faithful. This is the theme that runs throughout Scripture, by the way. It is the theme that we find running throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Is to be faithful. If we would be faithful, we would eliminate so many of our problems. But our problem is is that we we just naturally live in unfaithfulness in every aspect of our lives. I mean, we... We basically gather together and then we go our separate ways and we never really make application to any aspect of our lives throughout the week. And it is required in stewards to be found faithful. Now he is saying this in relation to the leaders of the church as he is vying for power, by the way. And he's trying to get them to identify whom they should be listening to. And basically what he is saying is, listen, don't listen to the unfaithful crowd. Listen to those that are faithful. We find this concept of faithfulness 
just throughout the pages of his letter. As a matter of fact, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as he is dealing with some concerns with married people and unmarried people and so forth, he even says that, yet I give my judgment as one that has obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. Did you hear what he just said? He said, I am one who has obtained mercy from the Lord to be faithful. Why did God grant mercy unto him? So he would have a faithful servant. God's looking for faithful servants. That's why he grants mercy. So if you, a child of the devil, want mercy from the Lord, you have to become a child of God. Those who were a servant of the devil have to become a servant of the Lord. God doesn't just grant us mercy so that we can just live our own lives and follow our own pursuits so that we can make his heaven better when we die. God does not need us for heaven to be perfect. It's already perfect because he is perfect. As a matter of fact, if without his grace to regenerate and to change us and to grant unto us the Holy Spirit, all we would do is corrupt heaven. Okay? So you're not some beautiful jewel that the Lord is looking for to make up his crown. We are worms, right? We are sinners. We must receive mercy from the Lord. And that mercy has a purpose, and that mercy is so that we can be faithful. We are called by the grace of God. God calls us through his gospel in Jesus Christ to turn from our sin and turn to the Lord and be a faithful servant of Him. We're called to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said that if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, implicit in that statement is this idea of being faithful. So we are to be faithful in that which we have received, which is the word of God, because Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, he says, now listen, we, and again, he's talking about the true apostles, in order to divert them away from all the uh, false teachers of their day, he says, for we are not as many, like them over there, the unfaithful ones, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. In other words, faithfulness to the word. It's required in stewards to be found faithful. That's our calling, is to be faithful. Therefore, we should only listen to those who are faithful. 
Listen, worldly success does not, authentic, uh, uh, does not authenticate the message. So they might be on TBN. They might be raising millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they may have this, that, or the other. But it does not authenticate their message. We need to identify them who are faithful. For that's what we have been called to be, is faithful. We must be faithful. And we must be faithful in that which God has commanded us and instructed us through his word. So Paul says, listen, we're not as those who corrupt the word of God. We're seeking to be faithful to the word so that way we can proclaim it faithfully and make Faithful application of the word in our lives. He also says in 2 Corinthians 4.2, We have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Again, what is he saying? He says we've renounced all this dishonesty and crafty stuff, for faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, he says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, that which sounds good to the flesh. Oh, that sounds so sweet. Because that's what we like, right? What is it that sounds good to the flesh? Well, it's the same thing that sounds good. You know, spiritual food and physical food, there's similar characteristics here. That which sounds good to the flesh is that which is sweet, right? You can eat your spinach or you can have banana pudding. Give a kid a choice, right? And which one is he going to choose? The banana pudding. Right? Because it's like that appeals to my flesh. So Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, that which sounds good to the flesh, that which looks good, that which feels good, that which tastes good. It was not with enticing words of Man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, that which is transformative. Faithfulness. To be faithful. So much so is this faithfulness being um, upheld by Paul to the Corinthians He tells them that our weapons are not carnal. They're not according to the flesh. We're not going to win the world through all the things that appeals to man's senses. Sight, sound, taste, feel. We're not going to win them. By that which is carnal, that which is fleshly. The only way that we are going to win them is by a demonstration of the spirit and power of God. 
And he says, so our weapons are not fleshly. He says, our, our weapons are mighty. Now, the Pepsodent smile preacher on TBN may be appealing to the flesh, but it is not going to be effective. What's going to be effective is the demonstration of the spirit and power of God. What's going to be effective is the truth of God. What's going to be effective is faithfulness to the truth. See, that was the complaints against Paul. He wasn't good looking enough. He wasn't masculine enough in his presence. He wasn't powerful enough in his body. He wasn't rich enough. They were looking at the things of the flesh and they were following that which appealed to them. That which was desirable. But he said, that's not what we're looking for. That's not what we're going for. What we are going for is faithfulness. We're going for those mighty weapons of God that cast down imaginations, that cast down every high thing that opposes and exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And we are going for that faithfulness in the spirit and power of God to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Which is why he was looking for faithfulness in leadership. In 1 Corinthians 4.17 he tells him, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he is faithful. No, I'm not. He didn't say anything about sending him to them because he was an eloquent, eloquent speaker. Didn't say anything about his looks. Didn't say anything about his social class. Didn't say anything about him according to the flesh. But he said, I'm going to send you Timothy because he's faithful in the Lord. You see, it is required in stewards that one be found faithfulness. They were being instructed and guided by those who were unfaithfulness or who were unfaithful, therefore causing them to be unfaithful. And the very essence of Paul's argument on who to follow is based upon who is being faithful and who will be faithful. It's not required in stewards to be charming. It's not required in stewards to be charismatic. It's not required in stewards to be good-looking or eloquent. No, we're not saying those are bad things. We're just saying that's not the requirement. They're not effective. Faithfulness is the requirement. And so, as Paul's authority is being called into question, he writes, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul is not concerned with any fleshly qualifications except faithfulness to prove his calling. And on account of faithfulness, let every man in the Corinthian church consider him to consider Apollos and to consider Cephas as the servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Quit being divided and unite around faithfulness. Unite around faithful men. 
In 2 Corinthians 6, 4, he says, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulations and needs and distresses and stripes, in imprisonments and tumults and labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of the righteousness of, of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. That kind of faithfulness. You see, if these guys can't even be faithful with all the media at their fingertips, with all the money at their fingertips, with all the fame and prestige, and with all the physical attributes, if they can't be faithful with all that, how are they going to be faithful in the things that Paul suffered? They're not. It's kind of like the saying of the prophet, Listen, if you're having trouble with the infantry, the foot soldiers, if they're whooping you, what are you going to do when their cavalry shows up? Well, same thing here. Paul's saying, listen, look at the ones who are being faithful in difficulties. Because that's what we're called to. Therefore, after he says all this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 about who the true ministers of God were, he then says the famous statements about not being unequally yoked. And who's he talking about? He's talking about the unfaithful ministers. Don't be yoked up with them. So faithfulness is what is required. If you would go read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you will see it stand out. That faithfulness is what is required. And that we're to separate from those who claim to be leaders, but who are unfaithful to the word, unfaithful to the work, and unfaithful to the flock. If they are not willing to suffer for faithfulness, it is because they are false. They were false apostles in Paul's day. They're false teachers in our day. Why? Because faithfulness, if you look in verses 6 through 13, faithfulness, according to the wisdom of the world, demands foolishness. Now, the cross of Christ is not foolish. The gospel of Christ is not foolish. It's the only thing that is true wisdom. The word of God is not foolish. It's the only thing that is true wisdom. But what Paul says is that they look upon it as foolishness according to the wisdom of this world. According to the wisdom of flesh. And to be faithful, we have to be willing to be looked down upon. We have to be willing to be trampled upon for the truth. We have to be willing to lose everything for the truth in order to be faithful. So we have to do a reset with our thinking. 
Our calling is to be faithful. And the world will look upon it as foolishness. The world will look upon it as foolishness when they'll be like, well, all you would have had to have done was compromised in this area and that area. All you would have had to have done was be unfaithful in these few things over here and you would have been accepted and esteemed and exalted. But Paul says that is not how. That is not how we think. That is not how we reason. This is the way we reason. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And what does it mean to be faithful? Well, Jesus says it means to be faithful in the little things. And if we're faithful in the little things, then we will be faithful in the larger things. Let's stop looking at the larger things and start being faithful in the little things. Let's start being faithful in reading scripture, in praying, in gathering as the community of saints, as building the kingdom of God right here. Let's stop worrying about Washington, D.C., and let's start doing the little things here in Mooresville, Indiana, and build the kingdom of God here. Let's stop worrying about the headquarters for this denomination and that denomination, and let's start building the kingdom of God here. Let's start being faithful in the little things that God has given to us to do. And let's stop worrying about the big things because if we're faithful in the little things and if God ever calls us to the big things, we know that we will then be faithful there because we were faithful in these things. Father, it's a simple little truth, but one that needs hammered over and over and over again. That what is required of us is that we be found faithful. We who have received your mercy and your grace have a requirement upon us and that is just to be faithful where we're at. To be faithful in what we have been called to do in our little part of this earth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to refocus our minds and our thoughts and our actions upon our own faithfulness and stop looking at all the unfaithfulness of everyone else and start looking and stop looking to distant places and the unfaithfulness that we find there and start focusing and consecrating on our place to start concentrating on our work, to start concentrating on that which we have been called to be and do here in what many times we look at as an insignificant place in the world. Small town, southern Indiana. But Lord, we have been brought to the kingdoms for such a time as this. And 
may we stop complaining about whether you have given us 10 pounds, 5 pounds, or 1 pound. And Lord, may you just help us to be faithful in the pound that you have given us. And we ask all of these things in the name of our Savior, who gave his all for us. And we pray that we would give ourselves as living sacrifices to him as we take up our cross and follow him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's